0: You know Gigi, right? Well, I mean, we just met. Wait, 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 will you stand up so that he can take a look at you? Go on, stand
1: Well? Well, what? What do you
0: think? We you think she's beautiful? I don't know. I mean... Yeah, I guess she's fine. Yes, yes, that's exactly the word that I was looking for. She's fine, right? You can sit down now, thanks. Thank you, Dean. Now, look at Jessie. Nothing fake, nothing false. A diamond in a sea of glass. True beauty is the highest currency we have, Without it, she would be nothing. Welcome back to part two of our Neon Demon episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed. We also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Well, what are you missing out on if you're not a patron? First of all, our cutting room floor stuff. These recordings with Ryan and Bartek, they're always longer than usual because for one them being uh uh, used to having their own show they already come into ours with an hour hour and a half worth of thoughts that they want to put out there and then Mm -hmm. on top of that i would say most of the time at least half the time those thoughts are very different from ours so we have to give them all time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so what that leads to is a lot of stuff just doesn't make it into the final cut of the episode, and it goes to our cutting room floor segments on the Patreon. Available to all patrons, starting from the ground floor, $1 and up, the, the Travolta here, and upwards. You also get access to our bonus shows. Uh, we try to put out at least one every month. This month, demanded by patron Ben Murray from Film Busters, we're going to be doing The Beach Bomb. Now, if you want more content, then you... Move a tier up. Three dollars. You get access to our pre-recording notes. You get access to our QVRs. This month we're splitting the QVRs. So Alex has his own. I have my own. Alex is going to be doing the movie. Everybody wants some. The Richard Linklater spiritual sequel, allegedly, to uh, Days Unconfused. Uh, And I will be doing The Frighteners, the Peter Jackson horror comedy with Michael J. Fox. Mm -hmm. You'll have access to those two videos. We'll do the the typical QVR structure. We'll record a little segment before we watch the movie. Another segment halfway through the movie. Another segment at the end. Fun for the whole family. (laughs) Uh, And then you also have access to Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching that we're reading that we're listening to that we're playing that we're thinking about alex what are you bringing to contrarians after hours this time
2: well julio i want to put to bed this nicholas wendy grafen discussion forever and so (laughs) we all know i love drive uh, by this point, you should have a good idea of how I feel about the Neon Demon. And uh, there's also Only God Forgives. Now, th- and this, to be fair, there's Bronson and Valhalla Rising and his uh, pre-drive work. But uh, I went back, rewatched Only God Forgives. I'm going to talk about my feelings on that, and then we'll, we'll be done with it. Uh, but on a plus... <laughs> putting
0: this to bed forever.
2: <laughs> but on a positive note, the famous slash infamous 1999... Pro wrestling documentary released by Universal Studios and produced by Ron Howard, directed by Barry Blaustein, Uh, Beyond the Mat was for the first time ever remastered and released on Blu-ray recently. I saw your tweet. I I, I was
0: wondering if that was the same movie uh, or if it was something else.
2: Nope. One and the same. And... As I noted on my tweet, I think it's the first non bootleg copy of the movie I've ever owned, which is hilarious, all things considered. So I went back through uh, the uh, Blu ray release and I have some thoughts on the quote remaster and uh, just be talking about the uh, Blu ray release of probably the most famous pro wrestling documentary ever made and uh, my overall thoughts on it because I've never really talked about the movie too much on here. So it'll come along with that. So only God forgives putting. And NWR as his watermark in this movie is so plastered, uh, putting him to bed and then uh beyond the mat discussion. Julio, what about yourself? What do, what can we expect from the Peruvian side of the equation?
0: On my end, Alex. First a movie that I watch in theaters, uh the most recent movie I watch in theaters, I'm gonna give you a heads up already. It's not a good movie, or at least it wasn't uh you know, a movie that I would recommend, but I think it would be a movie uh, that would be fun to uh, to just bring up uh, for two reasons. One, because the it's a romantic comedy, by the way. It's an R-rated romantic comedy. We don't get many of those, but we might be getting more yeah. of those these days. It is called Anyone But You, and it stars uh, Glenn Powell, who, once you do your QVR, you'll be like, oh, that guy. Because Glenn Powell is one of the main characters, and everybody wants some. So that's one reason. The other reason is it's directed by Will Gluck of uh, oh. ECA fame. Oh wow! So you know we've we've had him in the patron feed before. We will have him in the patron feed again. Uh, this is not ECA, <laughs> but in case you know, we're all curious. What what is Mister Gluck up to? Well, I will tell you. So uh, yeah, stars Glenn Powell and Sydney Sweeney, uh, but also. I wanted to bring this up. I wanted to talk about it in the after hours. I think that's something that might be interesting to some of our patrons just because, you know, they generally seem more interested on the behind the scenes stuff. And I've been going back and forth, just doing some experimenting with like other social media platforms since uh, Twitter, now X, is kind of a shit show. Yeah. And, you know, there's some other options. So Threads came up and then uh, Blue Sky came up and there is there're different vibes to these options and i kind of want to talk about it and i have i've had these thoughts accumulating over the past few months since i've been um, you know we have a contrarian account on x that's the most mm-hmm. active but then we also have a contrarian account on threads a contrarian account on blue sky and uh, i just kind of want i want to tell you about it and i think that the patrons might find that interesting as well so we're going to put it as part of the after hours cuz there's there's a lot of stuff to talk about uh, some of it may just be me venting about the things that I don't like on each of the platforms. Uh, but I also want to point out like the things that I like about the platforms. And Fair I enough. also, I'll be interested to hear what patrons have to say. Because I know that we have several patrons that have accounts in all three. So social media discussion, uh, the romantic, the R-rated romantic comedy, Anyone But You, the wrestling documentary, Beyond the Mat, and putting it to bed forever. <laughs> Only God forgives. Goodbye. Nicholas (laughs) Reffin. That is your after hours. And then if you want to be part of those patrons that tell us what to watch uh, here on the main feed and also on the patron feed, that is when you go up to the $5 tier, the Embrys, or the $10 tier, the Gads. So check that out. Go to patreon.com slash Prime. Look at different levels and choose how you would like to become part of the Contrarian Supplements. $1, $3, $5,
2: $1, $3, $5, and $10 are respective tiers. $1 gets seen on the ground floor, as we say. You'll have access to all of our patron exclusive series, our mega series on The Rock versus John Cena and their pro wrestling and respective film careers. Uh, We also have our Lindsay Lohan series, our back to school series, uh, all the way back to our very first bonus episode on Blue is Warmest Color. So uh, be sure to check out our patron. As we mentioned, we have some current patron goals at uh, 30, 40 and 50 patrons. So uh, the time is now, as they say, to uh, go ahead and Take the jump. Take the risk. It's probably, what, a buck seven, buck eight with tax. Throw us a few quarters and a few pennies and uh, take a look around and see what you like. To all of our current patrons, bless y'all. We love y'all dearly. And uh, we look forward to seeing each and every one of you on the other side. Now, Julio, I'm mad that we still have to talk about this movie, but let's move along (laughs) to real talk.
0: Yeah, uh... Ryan and Bartik had to excuse themselves during the patron pitch. Ryan
2: went off to shadow box to prepare his defense. So I think he's ready to come on in.
0: (laughs) All right. uh, Let's welcome spit and polish back and let's go into real talk.
2: All right, everybody.
3: Thank you for your work. It's going to be a close set.
0: All right, Alex. Here they are. Ryan and Bartik went to freshen up. Just uh, redo their their makeup and make sure they uh, they throw up whatever eyeballs they hadn't digested from Contreras Corner. And now we're ready for, for real talk. We're ready to, to really express our feelings, our true feelings regarding Nicholas Winding Refn and uh, his, I guess, most recent movie. I didn't know that, but it's true. This is it. Neon Demon. And then no more.
2: Directed by Nicholas Wendy rafin written by Mary Laws, NWR, and Polly Stenham, with the story by credit, of course, going to NWR. Released in the United States on June 24th 2016. It had premiered at Cannes on May 20th of that same year. Budget of approximately $7 million for a box office return of less than $4 million. The Neon Demon received mixed response from critics. Much like reference previous film, Only God Forgives. The film received both booze and a standing ovation during its premiere at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, my understanding is that the reaction to this was nowhere near as um, animated as that of Only God Forgives, which uh, I won't be the last time we bring that movie up. But um, I get that. I guess is my point. What a long, interesting, short, it feels long, but it's a short, like a tangled weave that Nicholas Wendy Grafen has made of notoriety, pomp, circumstance, and interesting, to say the very least, films. This being the only of the the trilogy we keep referencing that he was writer director and producer on obviously uh, very passionate about this and i think we have uh, a passionate defender of it um so i'm looking forward to getting to that discussion before we do julio let's just go ahead and discuss uh, what were some of the the positive quotes you pulled from rotten tomatoes What uh, shiny red tomatoes did you did you bring to us
0: yeah, I got I got some fresh tomatoes. Uh, before that, Alex, you opened Contreras Corner with Jackass. I'm gonna open uh, Real Talk with the Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> that is because oh boy, uh, I was thinking as I was watching rewatching the Neon Demon that you have probably run into this, and I don't know Ryan Bartek. I don't know how uh, how popular Smashing Pumpkins are over there you know, on your side of the world or were maybe, uh, and particularly with you. But they have this song 1979 which was kind of a a big hit. The music video was pretty popular. And you would, uh, back when I was younger, you would run into people that were huge fans of 1979, the song, which made them think that they were huge fans of Smashing Pumpkins. And then they would buy a Smashing Pumpkins album and be like, wait a second,
3: (laughs) this is not like 1979. What happened? Is it like Radiohead with Creep?
0: Exactly, exactly. So I think just like it's well known that Alex loves Drive, it's also well known, I think, by our listeners that I just think it's okay. and But I still can appreciate Drive as uh, Nicholas within reference, exponentially more mainstream movie <laughs> compared to the other two movies of his that I've seen. And I always get a kick out of imagining somebody that likes Drive and then has to watch... Only God Forgives and or The Neon Demon and has to just reckon with just how much weirder this guy can be with his movies. And uh, re-watching The Neon Demon, I was just reminded of that because it's like, yeah, this is... It, it's 100% from the guy that made Drive, but it is also way further off the deep end. And that doesn't make it a bad movie, but I completely understand how you can like Drive, you can even love Drive like Alex, and. Also, not be into this movie at all. So uh it's not it's not really, you know, okay with some people, uh recently we we did uh Jerry Maguire, right? And with Jerry Maguire, you're like, uh man, how is it that the guy that did Jerry Maguire also did Aloha? Like that doesn't, I I can't understand it. With this, I can totally get like Neon Demon, <laughs> only God forgives, drive. They they are of a piece, even though they are very different. There's something like a slow descent to madness. So let's get into this fresh quotes, and then you guys can can talk to us about how you really feel about the movie. Uh, we're going to start with K. Austin Collins from The Ringer, who says, The Neon Demon is Reffin's best movie, or at least the one that best matches his style to his subject. Just base level. Is it his best movie, Ryan?
3: Well, it depends what you're measuring on. Look, I like drive, but we talked about it on our podcast. I respect drive more than I than I like it. Um but on a technical level, again Neon Demon is probably his best. Like just just it cannot be denied the craftsmanship being put into the movie. But what are you looking for when it comes to this movie maker who is very much known for those technicals? Because again, Drive is also a film lacking in dialogue, lacking in character backstory. It's mainly like the mood is set and and the feelings that it provides for you. So I I don't know. I, I think, With certain filmmakers it just really depends what you are wanting in general like some people may say the elephant man is probably david lynch's best movie like here's all of these reasons why but then i'll turn around and say oh but i like lost highway more i think it's a better and so on and so on and i think this falls into into that category for me where i personally like the neon demon the second most out of his career I I like Bronson the best and again you keep saying trilogy I would throw Bronson in as well in this in this run of films he did Bronson then then Drive then uh, then um, Only God Forgives and then Neon Demon and they're all very much of a a piece except for the Neon Demon is the one where he really challenges himself the most especially in terms of making it uh, a female character being the one examined rather than the typical brooding quiet male
0: Bartek, you said you haven't seen Only God Forgives, right?
1: The only ones I've seen from him are this, and then later on we did Drive. So yeah, I can't really speak to his full career.
0: But between those two, would you say that the Nian Demon is better?
1: Uh, I, I guess I kind of see what Ryan's saying in that when we did them both on Pictures Pow wow, I wasn't really a big fan of either one. It's always been this kind of running thing of like, oh, you know, Nicholas Wining Refn hasn't really hit for me yet. Um, and I've kind of wanted there to be, you know, a sort of hit coming. And Ryan has been talking about Bronson a lot. So, like, hopefully maybe that one will do it. Um, but, yeah, thinking about it, I, I guess I've thought about the Neon Demon more. Like, I guess it left a bigger impact. I remember Dry being a lot more chill. So, I guess it is just kind of that kind of thing where <laughs> these two films are, you know, so different that Yeah, it's just a matter of, like, what are you in the mood for?
0: Well, Alex, I'm not even going to ask you because I already know. Next, Brett Hayes from Screen Crush says, The Neon Demon is as deceptive as shattered glass, with a brilliant beauty so mesmerizing that you don't notice its murderously sharp edges until you're bleeding all over the floor.
2: Oh, he was talking about actual shattered glass, not the 2003 underrated <laughs> film starring Hayden Christensen. No,
0: not the one okay. with Anakin Skywalker, no. Uh, I was
3: going to make fun of that review for being like, oh, look at me, aren't I smart? And then Alex had to fucking follow it up with, uh oh, I'm g I want to
1: reference a movie <laughs> I like. And so go, oh, let's go to the review. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, does this movie sneak up on you? I. Uh, I mean I think the ending probably does but overall like the the especially if you've seen at least one or two of his other movies I don't know that you don't notice the sharp edges I mean I think that you're very aware of the sharp edges from the beginning
3: Oh yes I I 100% agree I don't think the sharp edges are the thing that may sneak up on you I think it is the intended humor that snuck up on me on that first watch uh when I got to that final scene the epilogue that was the sequence where I I went oh oh I get the movie I get what they're doing here and I can't wait to rewatch it and see not those sharp edges but those goofy ones like those intentionally kind of funny ones because I think when you go get off the back of drive and only god forgives which are films that are not humorous there may be some moments of levity but definitely not uh films that have that much comedy to them you you don't expect it but then when you think about something like bronson bronson is up front with its comedy like you cannot ignore the humor of that movie i think the deception of the neon demon is just its sensibilities that it's hiding underneath the preconception that the viewer may have of what this film is and who made it
2: interesting point. yeah and i think it's important to call out just we keep going back to drive there's something that is evident in drive has become such a like bro dude cliche at this point you know it's like up there with um Some people think of it the way, you know, if I told you my favorite movie is The Fast and the Furious, they would be like, oh, it's just a a bro movie. Or there's also the idea that people think of it like Joker, like people who watch it just like Mm -hmm. fantasize about this character, you know, that they become the star of the movie or some shit. And I get all that. Every time I watch the movie, I'm like... Uh, you know, months will go by or years that I haven't seen it. And I'll be like, yeah, maybe it is just kind of the silly thing. And then I watch it like, no, that movie fucking rules. I don't care. I don't care what any of the stigma around it is. And I
3: think that's a part of his problem is he does have viewers or people who aren't even familiar look at something like Drive or, or, or the Neon Demon or Bronson and think of it in that very specific way. I mean, we're all fans of certain types of media where you have other people who are fans of it and you may think, for the shallow or wrong reasons. Because Drive, out of all of his films I've seen, is the most sweet. It's it's tender. It's It's actually a romantic film. It's probably the most revealing of a sensitive side of a filmmaker who's known for being very graphic. Even though the film does have all of these brooding masculinity, stomping of heads, driving cars... It's a film mainly made up of scenes of two characters looking at each other longingly, while other films of his are characters looking at each other venomously.
2: And I think that's kind of to the point I was originally trying to make. I finally got there of his other movies don't have that. They don't have that ideology or you know borderline stigma that surround it, and... I think what ends up happening then is deeper conversation <laughs> comes from his other movies. Even something like Only God Forgives. I've heard people make like passionate defenses of that movie that go way deeper than, you know, his most accessible movie is Drive. And that is still a movie that someone could watch and be like I don't get it. So, you know, by the time we get to the Neon Demon, we're way, you know, we're deep in the shit in the trenches with this and I think it's um <laughs> It leads to an interesting, just you know, discussion is what we're having. But it's something I always think about in the idea of, like, look, I might not like the shit he makes, but he's a person that clearly has an idea of what he what he wants to make and what he wants to be as a filmmaker, as opposed to just uh, going with the motions or do, you know, taking the work that's given to him, and somehow that all came into alignment one time with this movie he made. And, you know, a lot of that has to be attributed to the fact that Ryan Gosling's a star of it, but anyway.
3: And he's he, Uh, outside of Drive, is a cult movie maker by design. Like, when you find out that The Neon Demon is a movie with a large following of people who do like it or do defend it, or even Only God Forgives, I don't like Only God Forgives, but... You, you, you aren't surprised because of just the type of sensibilities that there is in this movie and Bartik and I are having a little bit of a chuckle about being in the shit because this was the first Winding Refn movie you watched right like I threw this at you first I didn't give you drive oh, wow. as a power. my
1: introduction of who this guy was was like oh we're doing this film called The Neon Demon can you just get to LA Jesse how'd you know you've got that look
0: Let's close with with a really pretentious quote, because, you know, we always have to have one of those. Uh, Jorge Ayala Blanco from El Universal says, a thrilling, more delirious and ethereal story than an abnormal narrative from a plot pretext and juicy cinephilic references to the work of great directors of the first wave of
1: French cinema. I miss Bobby Finger. We all miss Bobby Finger.
3: <laughs> <laughs> he just straight up said, Look, this shit's smarmy, but I kind of don't get it, so fuck it.
0: Well, those were the quotes. And and uh, the lines are are drawn in a way. Alex reluctantly saying a couple nice things about the Neon Demon. Ryan full on defending the Neon demon, and also advocating for Bronson to be included in this conversation.
2: <laughs> it's a great
3: it's it's a great film. It made it helped make Tom Hardy.
2: A quadrilogy, not a trilogy. It's a quadrilogy. That's referring to it. Yeah. Um, Some say tetralogy. So, <laughs> a, a dodecahedron. <laughs> um, so anecdotally, I'll make this as concise as possible. When the Neon Demon came out, I had already seen Only God Forgives, and I had already <laughs> thrown in the towel on old NWR. I, after Only God Forgives, I was like, nah. And so I did not see Neon Demon in the theater. I had friend, a friend who did, our friend of the podcast, uh, Reed Lansford, and he, I asked him what he thought about it, and he basically just relayed and mirrored my eventual thoughts on it. And then he told me the ending, and I said, that's not how it ends. And I just refused to flat out believe him. So then I got on Wikipedia and uh, read the plot synopsis, and I was like, okay, well then Reed did that because that's not how it really ends. He just got on Wikipedia <laughs> and changed it. And then I read another review that said that and I was like, no fucking way. And then that was kind of, I was just gobsmacked and then didn't really think about it again. And then a couple years, maybe a year or two after the fact, when I worked downtown, went out with some coworkers to a bar over off um, Red River, I think it was, over there by Stubbs. And um, the bar had... The Neon Demon on the TVs there. Amazing. And it was just starting. And so, like, it was music, you know, in the bar, but they had Neon Demon on the TV. And as I continued to drink, then I found myself, it had the subtitles on. That's an important thing to call out. Uh, as I continued to have beers, I found myself more and more like watching it. And just by reading the dialogue and watching the acting and whatnot, kind of just like annoyed. And then, you know, an hour and a half into it, I was like, "Well, fuck! I have to stick around now to see if you, they really eat this bitch." And then <laughs> the ending finally came, and I was like, "Son of a gun! That's really how the movie ends." I couldn't believe it. So that was my one time watching it. So you can't say that's like a true immersive viewing experience. But mm. I had, I I knew the dialogue, and I had watched the visuals of the movie. So that was my experience with it. Okay, but but your reaction,
0: your reaction to the ending when when they finally. and you realize that that was it was not a joke it really that's really what happens were you uh disappointed dismissive uh kind of impressed that that he went there
2: i was more just like holy shit and it's i I, look i think this movie is bad and i think that the plot of it is just you know molasses moves quicker than this movie does but i was kind of like well that's really what happened and you know (laughs) I wish it was a better movie. So the ending stuck out more, but from where I was sitting, I was like, well, he at least committed to the, the bit there. Um, I don't know what I expected. I don't know if I expected them to like show like Ellie fanning or L fanning, excuse me on the ground. Like, no, don't eat me. But, uh, it, it was, it was, it was pretty surprising. I guess, um, I kind of have remorse about the ending being spoiled for me. If I had watched this unspoiled, it wasn't going to make me like the movie, but that's such a like hard left turn for the end of it. Uh, Ryan called it out though. And it's true. When you watch this movie again, it's pretty obvious that something bad's going to happen. You may not know like they're going to eat her, but it's, you know, they're going to, she's going to be a sacrifice of some sort. Um, so that was my first experience watching it. The rewatch, uh, it was free on, um, Amazon prime here in the States, no commercial interruptions, which I appreciated. It's uh this movie is just categorically not for me. And, um, I don't know some of the discussion in the first half and some of the points Ryan's made of, I've kind of backed off how like fired up I was to just shit on this, but it's, <laughs> uh,
0: the, the, Ryan effect.
3: He it, soothes yeah. you, it's, it's calms your anger. Slander, yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm, interested to get to my co-host but bartek my understanding i've not listened to y'all's episode on this yet but my understanding is that you're kind of in my camp and that this movie ain't for you sort of yeah
1: it's been three years so i don't fully remember everything about it other than yeah general feelings but yeah my my journey with it was originally that uh i came away not being into it, but feeling like I did miss something and was very much open to you know watching it again at some point. Because there were little elements in the film that I liked, and I, I felt like maybe I just wasn't in the right mood when I first watched it. Maybe like yourself, but without you know i wasn't drinking at a bar or anything like that
3: you also said that you were iffy on the copy that you were watching it with if it was too like not the highest res copy because there was a big complaint that the last act of the movie you could barely see anything and i was like Really? Oh okay. no! And I don't know if that's still true or not. But I gave you a DVD <laughs> copy, and I'm like, watch this on your TV because you usually watch stuff what on your like
2: my, my my computer.
3: Yeah, in bed from afar, you know.
2: Yeah, um, dude the f- the first time I saw Drive, it was a pan and scan bootleg that I didn't see that he left the money behind at the end until I watched the Blu-ray that I finally got. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oh my god!
1: <laughs> um, yeah, so there's always it. has been one of many films that like oh I need to rewatch it at some point, and it's been the one that's been push the most hence you know we're doing it here now so yeah i walked into this optimistic like okay you know things about it you you've seen it before you remember some elements of the ending i actually to be honest i actually forgot a lot of the stuff with jenna malone yes (laughs) so it did kind of hit me again like oh that's right i knew something happens with her but i forgot that she had the power in what happens kind of so i was re-watching it optimistic and i in in our initial episode was i saying that the film was really long and like slow
3: yeah you mentioned that it was slow for you it is and uh, <laughs> shut up and uh shut <laughs> the fuck up alex it's part time to shine and he asked me a question you bitch you didn't listen to y'all's episodes, so shut up um uh, <laughs> so yeah your main complaint with neon demon was that you found it hard to understand in the second half in the first half you're like i understood what it was about in the second half you didn't understand what it, what it was about why it was about that and also you had a hard time visually comprehending it because you thought it was too dark visually
1: right yep um so again when i was watching it this time i was really engaged with the first half like i was understanding everything uh seeing all the themes seeing how things were uh you know connecting to memories of what happens later like i you know never forgot the very final epilogue scene where you know the character throws up the eyeball and kills herself so it's like okay yeah leading up to this i can see all the pieces coming together uh really enjoying it Uh, A lot of the visual stuff that was a bit more abstract, like uh, you had the scene where she kisses herself. In the mirror, yeah. In the mirror, it's like, oh, okay, we're having a little bit of a crisis here of of her character. Um, Really enjoying it up to there. And then around the time that Dean leaves the film, it's like a switch was flipped where I didn't start hating the film, but I kind of just lost all enthusiasm for it. Mm-hmm and the film was going on and i just w- wasn't interested anymore for some reason just a tonal flip happened there where i was just watching it play out and there were still little elements in that second half that i was enjoying but yeah it just i was really surprised at how empty i was feeling about the film interesting yeah so in the end i i think i do have a net positive experienced this second time around, but yeah, it's just somehow didn't work for me still.
2: Hey, let's get out of here. I want to go. So go. Julio, our guests have been providing a lot of interesting discussion points here. You and I, I, I don't think you dislike it as much as me or have like the, the passionate, Backstory of like, because you know, drive didn't build your hopes up like it did for me. So, what right. uh, this viewing of the neon demon, what, 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 what would you go through? What were you thinking? What are you thinking now?
0: Uh, I think that it's an easier rewatch in a way because I i am with you, and, and I guess at a certain point, I'm also with Bartek, and I had trouble caring about anybody, which is fine. Like, I don't think, I mean, I don't know if. Nichols, when the Reffin wanted me to care about the l and character then that's that's a miss you know but i i I can appreciate the, the role that she plays and the the part that she's supposed to symbolize you know uh, but that doesn't mean that I am particularly invested in what happens to her uh but knowing how the story ends having watched it once already that's really what kept me going like that's really what was pushing me through right like it can be slow and it can have moments where i just kind of feel like we're adrift (laughs) but i know where it all ends and that really was this time around what was keeping me engaged because i was like okay let's see how i can like put together the pieces that end with this young woman being eaten by (laughs) her, her peers and that was something that obviously i didn't have the first time i watched it the first time i watched it it was it was just harder because it was Here's the thing. Like, right? I think that the four of us can agree. If we agree on anything, we can agree that it looks amazing. Like, it's it's great. It's just visually, it's very powerful. And I think that that unfortunately, sometimes or most of the time, that's not enough to carry me through an entire movie. I think that I'll be like, okay, this looks great. And about 20 minutes of that is probably what I have before I start getting antsy. If if there's not a story that's really keeping me interested, and so. Watching it the first time around, I was like, this, "This looks good." And I was watching it on the heels of having watched Only God Forgives, which I thought was hilarious as far as just how bonkers and not—I mean, I've—I watched that movie so many years ago. I—I I don't feel like I'm qualified to really specifically tear it down, but I thought it was really bad and really funny in the way that it was just you know just clunky and over the top it felt Um,
3: like an imposter making a nicholas winding Refn movie it's like after quentin tarantino did pulp fiction you had all of those imitators of tarantino with only god forgives it's like he is the imitator of drive it's like no you are the guy who made (laughs) drive yep
0: (laughs) yep well it's just one of those things where uh not having seen Bronson, right? I see Drive, and then I—it's like, what are you gonna do next? What are you doing next? Uh, it's uh, Richard Kelly doing uh, Southern Tales after Donnie Darko, right? Like it's this is it. You have the power, and this is what you decided to do. And I wasn't even crazy about Drive. Like I thought that Drive was an okay movie. I cannot stand the Ryan Gosling performance and the the romance. I just don't buy it. And then those things that I don't like about Drive are amplified in. Uh, only God forgives. And then there's somewhat there in Neon Demon. But the thing is, you know, both times watching it, the first time, watching the second time, Neon Demon, I am watching it as a Nicholas Winden Reffin movie. And that is the the filter that just covers it completely. I, I can't help it. And I, I don't think you can either, Alex. I don't know about you, Ryan, and, and, and you, Bartek, but it's like knowing that it's a uh, Nicholas Winden Reffin movie creates an expectation in, in my mind of like, oh, these are the the quirks these are gonna be the 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 things that are gonna show up and i'm more than likely yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna brace myself because I'm not gonna be able to take them seriously. Like I think that his style is just very uh, I don't want to say self-important, but sometimes it feels like I mean <laughs> I, <laughs>
2: that's I use that exact word. My sister, as I mentioned, my mom watched it with me, My sister did as well. It was it was a night at the movies for the whole Mattis family. <laughs> uh, that's the exact phrase I used was self-important. It's like Patton Oswalt. I can't remember which movie he said this about, but he said there's nothing worse than watching. A movie that knows how important it is and you know i'm not saying that about uh, only god forgives but like i do feel like he's self-important and- but, but
0: that's the curse of the because you're not just judging the movie and i know that i'm not just judging the movie right like it's it's a combination a of, of of uh interviews and and quotes and and that's things is, that that's the curse heard. of
3: being an auteur director right there's the, like at this point, Quentin Tarantino or Scorsese or any of them could put out a movie, and before it even comes out, people have made up their minds, and that's yeah. Just the sure, sure. At least you have
0: an expectation. Oh well, yeah, right? no, no, like, yeah, I... that
3: too, that too, but that that too, but I think the big difference, at least for me, is I think that the Neon Demon is self-aware. I think he doesn't think it's that important. Like it doesn't have that potency of only god forgives i think it has more of a cheeky awareness like like uh bronson does or or just in general like i think there is a a level of him kind of realizing how much he fucked it up last movie and he's going to reel it back in this one
0: i think that you can i can see that argument being made on the basis of how bananas the climax is but unfortunately, the movie that leads you there doesn't really feel like it's... I'm not even going to say that it's not self-aware. It's more like, I I don't think that he's having that much fun. And if he is, then I'm definitely not having fun with him. You know, it's all very serious. It's a very... It kind of plods along. Yeah, there's,
3: there's a difference between having fun and self-awareness. Like, I don't think you have to be, oh, I'm having wacky fun time, to be a little bit less self-serious. That's what okay, I'm so saying. I, like,
0: I misunderstood what you were saying, because I thought what you were saying is that he became aware of how self-important he was coming across. So he used the Neon Demon to defuse that by saying, like, no, 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 look, I can have fun with this.
3: <laughs> no, I, I don't think it's that level, but I do think there is a bit of a diffusion. Like, this is definitely a deflection from what he did previously. And, you know, this isn't only God forgives. Like, this is definitely... Uh, him doing damage control after that. Like, this is someone who is going out of their way to do something different. Like, again, all-female cast basically is involved. Like, he's even going harder on lack of dialogue, and, and so on and so on. And again, like, so, quietly just putting in that this is kind of funny throughout instead of being upfront with it like in Bronson, or not having it at all like you know in the god forgives
1: um so, well speaking <laughs> as someone who isn't familiar with him and i haven't actually pinned down what his style is i've seen drive and the neon demon and they're very different it's synthwave and neon lights i suppose but um cliff martinez music <laughs> long passes between dialogue I'm so educated now, um, but what I was going to say is, you know, saying that this film is funnier or you know trying to be more self aware I think it just comes down to the fact that this film is a satire on on the industry, and when you have satire, there is just some inherently comedic stuff in there, so. You know we we talked about in contrarian's corner how a lot of the dialogue, like especially the Caddy dialogue from Gigi and Sarah was the other mm-hmm. one, um was very just blunt and to the point and you know, plain. and there is an inherent sort of humor there, even if you're not laughing. so the the fact that the film tries to get its point across using satire. I guess in a weird way, does make it lighthearted in a dark humor sort of way.
3: Yeah, and you know, we we've all kind of gone around with histories of, of, of this. Mine, for everyone out there, you you may hear me being a defender of this. I fucking hated the Neon Demon when I first saw it. I <laughs> did not like it until that epilogue. That epilogue Really made me curious of how I would feel on a rewatch of it. I really did not gel with this film. I did not like it. I just, I didn't know what it was, but it was, it was aggravating me. it was it was antagonizing me this movie. And it's also because of what you say, Bartek is it has a lot of elements I inherently like, but for some reason, it wasn't it wasn't connecting. It just wasn't working. And when you're watching a movie, you're not always thinking, why isn't this working for me? You leave that till after it's all done and said with, and then you think about it. But then that epilogue happened. And specifically, specifically, When uh, Abby Lee takes off those sunglasses as a model, like she does it as like you see in a model, like in a photo shoot and slowly, slowly takes them off and has this blank expression on her face as she sees an eyeball. I laughed and I went, oh, okay. Something about that snapped in me and when I want to rewatch this at some point, now knowing that there's some elements of this that I may not have judged fairly on that first watch through. And then when we did on the podcast, I I I really enjoyed the film, and like with you, Bartek, even though you've only seen two films, this is one where I keep I keep thinking about elements of it. Like it does leave an impact. It's not just those the big gone like crazy ending, but there's are just certain choices or characters or elements visually that have stuck with me. So when I went back for it on the podcast, I was like excited to watch it again because i was like will i like it now and i do i do like it and now doing it for this podcast this is the third time i've watched it and i liked it more so and the pacing flew by for me more so and i was just really kind of appreciative of the it's it's doing things that most movies just don't want to do like we keep talking about like likability of characters in this, like, oh, or oh, oh, enjoyment of this, or connecting to that. And I think sometimes, especially with those who are so stuck in certain film brain modes, you can forget that you don't have to have a likable character. You don't have to have characters who are likable people, or ones that you even respect or connect with, to still be ones that you can follow in a story.
0: But they should be interesting. I mean, my problem is not that they're bad people. My problem is that in making a movie about superficial people, he kind of fell into the trap of making a movie about people I don't really care about. You know what I mean? Like these models are there and they're kind of like cardboard cutouts. There is something to the relationship between the makeup artist and, and Elle Fanning, but that's not really, you know, there, there's just so little there. That's, I have a, a hard time with the with the Elle Fanning character. I just don't see any meat there. And, and, and so there's not much for me to, I can see her go through her LA journey, but she has what, that one monologue, that one thing where she's talking about, you know, the moon and how important, you know, yeah. she's like... I don't know how to do this, but I'm pretty and I can do that. I was like, okay, I want more of that, but there's not a whole lot of that throughout the movie, you know? And so I, I get it because to give them more depth would almost go against what the movie's trying to do, like what the picture of the movie is trying to paint. But, but that's the catch. <laughs> In making a movie about superficiality, then it ends up being a superficial movie. And so yes. there's only so much that I can engage with that.
1: Jack, do you the specials? Sure. Ugh, you're not going to eat it, but they work so hard to memorize them.
3: I love what I love. And this is my big critique. And Bartek and I talked about this and there was friction. My biggest critique is there's too much dialogue. I think you need less dialogue. That, that diner scene where the, the fashion guy expounds upon the main message and, and commentary of the movie, I find to be pandering. I find that to be condescending. I got the point through the movie already from truly bone-chilling sequences like Elle Fanning getting covered in the gold paint and we cut away from that and we can imbue what we got, what happened afterwards. I don't need this character slash Nicholas talking to me to ask me, what do I think about beauty? You're already doing that in in each of the scenes. And with Elle Fanning talking about the moon, yeah, that's a good little sequence, but I think what's really being undercut is the performances. Elle Fanning just exudes innocence. She's actually a 16-year-old girl when she made this movie, which adds raw power to the scenes this isn't hunger games where they cast 20 something year olds to play teenagers in a death match no this is literally a teenage girl that they're throwing into these scenes and you can't help but see how fresh-faced she is as she's up she against- looks like a
2: child compared to the others yeah
3: yeah and i think that is what you need like that's the that's the strength of the movie when it comes to the direction and the filmmaking can rely on the audience to get what it needs. But there are some times that I think it steps over the line. Like, personally, I would cut even more dialogue out of this and just rely on Jenna Malone's performance or El Fanning's performance or, or, or Abby Lee's performances to do the work. You don't need dialogue to do the work. This is an inherently a visual medium. You don't always need talky-talky-talky to get there. And in fact, yeah, but I, I got know. more disconnected from Elle Fanning the more they made her talk about things because it did come across as like, in a script, you have to do this to make sure that Julio feels con- content when you get to these things. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, see, I, I was actually invested in the Elle Fanning character because, you know, going back to this whole satire, like, you know, setup of contrast, she is this kind of fairy tale princessy character who is existing in this awful, awful industry and world. So, yes, seeing that corruption happen to her. Like, I'm of the reading that, you know, she was – fairly genuinely innocent at the beginning and gets corrupted. Like, it wasn't so much that there was darkness there. She was naive. Uh, Everything that everyone was telling her about the industry was all, you know, new realisations to her, and seeing that corruption happen. Where the film kind of lost me was when the turn was a little bit too quick. With other elements as well, but that was one of the big ones, because, you know, this was a character that I was enjoying the journey of, and I didn't quite buy how quickly the shift happened.
3: And I... I'm looking at Elle Fanning's performance. Who I think she is the second best performance in the movie. I think Jenna Malone steals this movie. I think she's fantastic. But Elle Fanning, when she does that turn at the end that you that lost you, I, I was wondering is this a good enough performance? Because when she's doing the "I'm a bad bitch" now, she never comes across as really that the character or Elle Fanning. And I'm like, is this just we can't believe Elle Fanning to be this? But I really do believe it is the character herself is trying to be this this badass, you know, top-tier model bitch, like, who's... I'm the sun, you're the shadow. Like, she's trying to be Rose McGowan and Jawbreaker, but she can't do it. The character is incapable of doing that because inherently they are innocent. Because this film very much operates on a fairy tale, fable-like logic. I, I think that...
0: There is our probably our biggest disagreement would be that I just don't find the performance. I don't think the performance is bad. I just don't think that there's anything really uh, happening to, to capture my attention for like two hours. You know, it's uh, if I want to assign blame, you know, I guess that's when it matters. I was like, OK, so do I put it on on Winden Reffin for not fleshing out the character more to my liking? Or do I put it on L Fanning for not creating a character that was more interesting, you know, more compelling to me for me to watch or do i blame both of them for collaborating and creating that type of character? But, you know, whoever whoever gets the responsibility or the blame, you know, in the end it's just that when the movie is centered around her, i just you know, i i i wanted more actually that you know, that i i singled out the the speech about the moon because i'm like, okay, at least this this little bit of 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 dialogue makes her stand out from just what I was feeling was a very uh, stereotypical portrayal of like, oh, well, this is just a young girl, a naive girl that came into Hollywood and or L.A. And it's just going to get destroyed. So for me, that's what makes it pop. You know, when they have uh, those little moments of dialogue where they expand on why they are different than just whatever archetype of the character I I was assuming they were. Yeah. And, and there's not a whole lot of that in the Elle Fanning character, you know, that, throughout the movie.
1: You know what my mother used to call me? Dangerous. You're a dangerous girl.
0: The thing that I end up admiring about the movie is how hard it goes uh, about what it wants to be about. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's in a way for all the talk where Nicholas and Reffin kind of trying to diffuse... Uh, the, the animosity or the, the the ideas that he'd given people with previous couple movies you know it's still he commits to what he's what he wants to say at the end and I think that that was that's good I mean that's why not having rewatch Only God Forgives like I, I still put this one you know I would put this one ahead of it
3: yeah this film is not a tragedy it's not a tragedy It's it's a cautionary tale that's what it is And that's why the film will commit to fucking murdering Elle Fanning's character, eating her, bathing in her blood, and spitting her back up again. And there is, at least in my eyes, I don't feel truly sad. Like, oh no, that Elle Fanning, her character specifically, met this fate. Because we saw all all of the steps she took to meet this fate. Now, we use movie-making magic to heighten it up to make it this witchy, occult, cannibalistic thing, but it is a cautionary tale. It's like, look at all of these things that this character did, and perhaps don't do those things. Like These are obvious traps that she put herself into, and it's because she has teenage naivete and arrogance to her, but there's no one looking out for her best interests. And that's including the film. The film doesn't care about her best interests because it's going to put her in this place. Because again, like a like an old-fashioned fairy tale, like uh people meet a grisly end, and that's that's that. And I really appreciate about that that about this movie, and like what Julio was saying, is you have to commend for it not pulling back the punches. Because in another movie, you could have been like, oh no, she realizes and she gets back with Dean and Dean saves it, and so on and so forth. But in this, they eat her. They fucking (laughs) eat her because she's meat.
2: Uh, As we've gone through this discussion, I've realized kind of the things you're saying. um, As everyone knows, I'm a big Good Time fan and a lot of the things you've said... I've kind of I've been like, oh yeah, that's like my thing with Good Time. There's no likable characters in it. Yeah, you know, it's well, you know, with the possible exception of you know his brother in that movie. There's really no likable characters. The things you have been saying uh, during this discussion, I can relate to. But as we look to the end here, it just comes down to the fact that this movie really does nothing for me. I I did not find myself as like offended is such a dramatic word, but like I did not find myself, you know adjusting in my chair in like a, oh, can you believe this guy type motion watching this as I kind of expected to based on my memory of it. It's, it's there. And, you know, it's not one of those like my memories of only God forgives where I was just like, well, that is a waste of my time that I'm never going to get back. I say that as I'm going to watch it again to affirm that stance. But, um, watch Bronson too. This, yeah, I was looking that up when you're talking about earlier. It's on Tubi. Both of them are. So I'll just binge those together. So, I don't like this. I don't think it's good. I understand what you are saying, and I understand how someone could come to the ideas that you have. The specifically being Ryan, but Bartek also because he's uh, was fairly complimentary about it. It's, um, but this this ain't it for me. Uh, I gave it one star in my Letterbox review. I am not going to say this is an F because this certainly isn't a failure. It's what and uh, I think it's pretty clearly what the director wants it to be. It, my letter grade would probably fall somewhere in like a, a D. Um Julio, before we throw it over to our guest for their closing rating, ranking, letter grade, scale of 1 to 5,000, however they want to score it here on the contrarian. Yum yums. Yum yums. Thank you. Uh, where, where are you falling on this, Julio?
0: I think we're going to slowly like climb up. I, I'm going to land on two stars. I don't remember what I gave it the first time I watched it, if, if I even logged it. But uh, two stars, I mean, it's it's just it's not a movie that I would want to revisit. And that's not necessarily for the it's not about the subject matter, but it's more that. I feel like I got what I could get out of it, Uh I can see myself playing it in the background just because it looks great. And like I said, I appreciate where it lands. But the the journey to get there, I just I I have a really hard time remaining engaged. I, I think it's funny because as we break it apart, I find the small scenes like on their own more more interesting and more more compelling than when you put them all together <laughs> one after the other as, as steps to get you to to the end of the movie so yeah i think two stars and it's not but it's not a movie that i i'm going to talk shit about other than in the just the, the jokey way that we do it you know on the show like if somebody tells me that they like the neil nebo i'm like yeah I, I get it, you know, it's, if somebody tells me that they like Only God Forgives, that's a little more puzzling. But, you know, Demon, I, I can see, I, and, and, you know, I mean, I think that both Ryan and Bartek can be pretty articulate about what works for them uh, in the movie, so I do not even have to imagine why. So, one star, D for Alex, two stars for me. Uh, let's go to Bartek next.
1: It just... Yeah, it was just a miss for me. I I definitely like it more now than my first time around. I can appreciate it. I can understand what it's trying to do. But the that that turn where I just stopped caring, like it, it especially hits hard because the Jenna Malone character was really interesting and a lot of the best stuff with her happens after that switching point like you were talking earlier in I think it was Contraine's Corner, Ryan about how, you know, you see the tattoos on her, and there's clearly all this, like, blood countess, like, vampiric stuff going on with her, and at that point, I just wasn't really getting into it. I suppose I do recommend it, because there is artistic merit there, and it seems to just be a case-by-case basis with people, but I would say that I probably won't be all that interested in giving it another go, but I also wouldn't hate myself if I do, so... Yeah, give it a go, see if it works for yourself. But yeah, this it it just didn't hit for me the way I wanted it to.
3: I'm always open to trying to give movies a chance. And I try not to pigeon my pigeonhole myself into certain boxes, but I know what I like. And I'm not always a fan of these type of movies. These are it's not even necessarily there's a genre, but there's a certain type of movie where They're about the mood and experience it puts you in rather than narrative or character or themes or any of that. Like you have movies like Climax, where it's like that's a fucking fever dream nightmare. You have Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, which is just such a a hard hitting film. But they're not necessarily focusing in on the traditional filmmaking stuff. Now, I don't always love those things, but on the occasion, they strike me and they strike me like no other film strikes me. Like I love Under the Skin. I think it's one of Scarlett Johansson's best movies, very similar to this movie in a lot of ways, but also very different. And I just, this one hit for me. And I think it hit for me more than uh, some of his other films because it was being less conventional. I don't love Drive as much as Alex or as much as most people because in a way, I wanted to cut ties of the more Standard storytelling things and embrace those more weird things that most people still talk about when it comes to that movie. And that's why I love Bronson, where Bronson's a biopic and it tells a story about a very interesting figure in history in a very strange way. And I feel the same with The Neon Demon, where it's about the mood it puts me in. It's got this hypnotic quality to it. And again, really have to praise. The music, the music in this movie is fan. Fantastic! Just listen to the music, and you can already see the images in your mind. There's this one bit of music that flares up when the fashion designer guy, like the the, the guy we talked about with the handkerchief, he says, "Hey, you're going to close out the show." And then the camera smash cuts back to Elle Fanning, and you just get this this I don't know like this synth guitar-y flare kick in, and it just tells you so much about what's going on in the character's mind. Again, this film is really utilizing all of the bits of the craft when it comes to the actual making like costume designing of the characters looks with makeup and hair like this is a very well-constructed film on that level and for it's not for everyone and i appreciate that i would rather take a nicholas winding Refn movie where he's just going for it and maybe it doesn't work and he's going up against obvious failure than a fucking brett ratner film where he'll just make a corporate product that will check boxes like yeah i made fucking x-men 3 so what i'd rather these types of things. be the only two options no but like i'm using extremes clearly to demonstrate a point and that's what i'm saying like i'm not always welcoming of these but this was one where as heard i initially wasn't and then something about it connected with me so strongly that it made me want to give it a second chance and to be honest Rarely does that happen. Rarely do I have a film that I don't like that I do want to give a second chance to. And then it actually, and then even go further, then become one I like. Rarely does that happen. And so The Neon Demon will always hold a special place in my heart for being one of those rare exceptions. And I give it a yum yum, of course.
0: Well, then, a yum yum, uh, sort of non committal recommend from Bartek, a harsh one star slash D from Alex and a non-committal two-star for me. <laughs> Mr. Wyndon Reffin, I hope that uh, you're happy. You're as divisive as ever.
2: Now, between the two of you, Ryan and Bartek, with your episode and this, I think you guys, have, you might lay claim to uh, most comprehensive coverage on the internet of the Neon Demon, um, so. <laughs> I, I certainly um, don't feel like I'm worthy of that, but I'll take it, I guess.
1: I know what I look like. What's wrong with that anyway? So that
0: was The Neon Demon. Uh, Before we go into what the future holds for us, Spit and Polishers, uh, what does the future hold for you? This will be dropping uh, halfway through January. So uh, do you know what movies you're going to be talking about?
3: Well, 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 aren't you, Mr. Nosy? We are currently on a holiday break, but we should be returning at the tail end of January. With the film I recommended, which is Decision to Leave, a more recent film.
0: Oh, that's the... That's a new yes. one. I mean, uh, that guy's a yes. new one, right? The most recent yes, one. Yes,
3: by the same director of Old Boy and the Handmaiden. We're doing his latest film, uh, uh yes, uh Decision to Leave. And then who knows? We're hoping this year to cover more musicals. That was my statement. I'm like, I think we need some more musicals on the pod. And Bartek will recommend a Bollywood film, which will fulfill that goal of a musical. Uh, most likely. You always recommend one Bollywood film and we always do a mixture of Hollywood or American films, foreign films, new, old. So there will be a whole assortment of goodies on the table at our podcast Bit and Polish Presents. And yeah, we can be found on on all of those podcasting sites including where even on youtube where you can subscribe to us there as well and uh, yeah we we post fairly regularly weekly at the moment we're just taking that holiday break just being like ah kicking our feet up enjoying ending the year on our perfect christmas film and what was our christmas film bartek you were responsible uh that
1: was rare exports a christmas rare exports a christmas tale a christmas tale yeah which
3: was the evil santa claus movie in uh Finland, mm-hmm. Finland, yes.
0: Alex, do you know? Do you remember what we're doing
2: next? Of course, I remember. Julio, it's the 2006 Brian. De- the last time a major, uh, an American studio gave Brian De Palma money to make a movie, it's the Black Dahlia. Uh, in some ways, also, I mean, he's on the comeback trail now with Oppenheimer, but that was kind of the the ending of the Josh Hartnett experience. And we get uh, Aaron Eckhart. It's like a yeah, she type detective, <laughs> and. uh Scarlett Johansson and, of course, uh, Hillary Swank in there as well, uh, based, of course, on the true story of the the Black Dahlia. It's like a neo-noir De Palma movie from 2006 that uh, I don't think is really that bad. I think it has a, it's, uh, its merit, in my opinion, and uh, we just needed to do something. And I looked at my horror shelf and I was like, yeah, <laughs> we can talk about that. So that's what's coming up next.
0: Ryan Bartik, thank you for being as great yeah, yes, as you thanks. always are yeah this was a lot of fun this was a lot more productive than if it had been just alex and i talking about me and demon it was it was a much welcome dose of enthusiasm for the work of nicholas and refin along with a little bit of a uh, skepticism from bartik it's that's always good for balance
2: once again we thank our guests greatly be sure to follow them on all social media and uh, subscribe on your your platform providers julio though uh until next time, We're going to move from one killing to another. Uh, No cannibalism this time, though.
0: I don't remember. Maybe there is. We'll find out.
2: All right, well, let's get on out of here. Welcome to our end credits. Or as we usually call them, our perennial plugs. We start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand and take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow
0: podcaster Hans Ruth Gieser is the man behind our logo and all the art you see related to our show. Reach out to him and let him know how much you like that little tomato. His email address is mildemonios at hotmail.com and his website is mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. You can also check out his podcast, Nacion Combi, about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support.
2: For those interested in the regularly absurd world of professional wrestling, Joe and the boys over at latenightgrin.com have you covered. Tell them the contrarians sent you.
0: And we like to close with special thanks to our social media team of Zoe Perez and Coriari. Each of the social media accounts we mentioned in the introduction look as good as they do because
2: of their work. So that'll do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. You're
1: I'm